Welcome to the Color Authority, an inspiring podcast on everything you need to know about color. How does color influence our daily lives and how can color inspire us? How do you bring more color into your life? But more importantly, which color? Last not least, but how do trends come about? By listening to the next episode, you will learn more about the topic of color, but also its design, the trends, but most importantly, how to apply color. This podcast brings fascinating conversations with some of the most inspiring people in the world of color for cross-industry professionals. My name is Judith Van Vliet, and I'm a color designer, speaker, and a trend forecaster reporting on as well European and global markets. I'm super excited today that I will be chatting with Dodie Horn from the New York City area. Dodie's founding director of Colorayon LLC, an international visionary color marketing firm formed already in early 2011. She has an expansive cross-current background in interior and fashion industries, as well as product development for companies such as Armstrong, Formica, Call of California, and Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. For seven years as Benjamin Moore's Paints Director of Color and Design, Dodi established color strategies and trend forecasting for market-focused programs using color as a driving principle. She's also currently on the board of directors of Color Marketing Group, and with her background in fashion industry and her extensive traveling for trend research, she has truly established a rich foundation for understanding color and design trends that inform her leadership in color. Her insights reflect a thorough understanding of indeed the emotional impact and power that color has on the designer and the consumer markets. Dodie, thank you so much for being here. I'm super, super excited. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you, Judith. This is great to be a part of of your creation and your vision. Can you a little bit um, tell the audience, how did you start with, uh, with color? Did you just came about color or how did you come into your professional career of this, this beautiful world? Well, I'll have to go back to when I was four and a half <laughs> and I made my first skirt and ended up through my uh, growing up years, hanging out in textile um, retail stores, just buying fabric, making clothes, Um, And it was just in my blood. And I knew I had to do something. In fact, when I was about five years old, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania and walked down the sidewalk and thought, you know, this place, 600 people will be like New York someday. (laughs) Not even thinking that I would be um, hooked into the fashion and interior design industries um, out of New York. So it's I've been in color my whole life, didn't really realize it until I got into the professional world and how uh, impactful that is to translate both design and color influences into product and businesses. So it's been it's been quite a ride and it's my life's work. So it's truly ingrained in my blood. So you, um, as you said, you you started off as a very little girl um, interested in fashion and obviously everything that comes along with that, which is obviously color, texture, pattern, probably. And then when we look at indeed your career, you've been uh, working for fashion companies in Los Angeles for 14 years. That's that's quite quite a long time. And but then you moved to the interior industry, um, you know, working with companies like Armstrong and and, and for Micah Benjamin Moore. How how did that change come about and, and why did you change 
industry? Um, I think speaking to all the entrepreneurs out there, I had my own business at, during the, the tenure of my 14 years in Los Angeles, and it was a roller coaster ride, just up and down, up and down. And I really needed to even out my, my life, basically, uh, to be able to make a living in the industry. And I was both in the fashion industry and teaching at the Fashion Institute at FITM for about seven years out there and also working for companies. And um, on a fluke, I got into the interior design um, industry through designing babies' rooms for the rich and, and elite out in Beverly Hills area. So that's how I made the transition into interiors. And it was just a fluke. But I, once I did that, I realized that it was color and design that were the common threads that bound both of those industries together. So that was my first foray into a cross-current understanding how fashion influences everything else. And since then, that's, that's actually my, um, my first love. Um, I looked to that industry first to see what the influences are because it turns so quickly. It just kind of the influences could be either a fad or it could be a long-term fashion uh, trend. And I look to those industries and then take that sense about what they're doing and translate that into interior products and forecasting. So um, that's, that's pretty much how I get started when I do my forecasting. But then that was the bridge of my 14 years in Los Angeles and over into interiors. That's how I make that change. I didn't plan it. It just happened. Um, I think a lot of people have been in um, their jobs for years. And if it's their life's work, you can't predict where you're going to be in 20 years. You can kind of say, yeah, I'd like to do this, but there's things that happen along the way that, that work your path into a straighter path down the road. So I'm, I'm just honored that I've been able to make a life's work out of, out of my passion. So you technically never left the fashion industry because it looks like you've left because you, you changed the fashion industry for the interior design industry. But you you do feel that they are highly influenced by one another and you don't see them that different now, do you? No, no, not at all. I think that it's when they apply the trend and the colors and, and the textures, I think they're some of the first to market in relationship to the interior area. Um, but the gap has closed. There is no longer that, that uh, wide gap it used to be like 15, 20 years ago, and now it's almost instant. But still, they're, they're having, the fashion industry now is having to redefine themselves because the pandemic has just thrown the whole industry into um, a restructuring. So it'll be interesting to see how that influence comes out. And there's some create, creative juices flowing in the fashion industry now to keep it alive and how they're actually doing that. So I'm still connected into that just to know how they're going to make this change through um, um, staying current and staying on top of things. And if people are actually going to support it like they used to do. Um, but the, the shows, the fashion shows are being redefined. I mean, there, there's a lot of change right now. So this, it's a really exciting time because that's where creative juices start flowing. Talking about those creative juices, do you have a few examples of, of, of fashion brands or fashion designers that you think are particularly of interest right now? Um, I think um, there's a global um, interest. And I know that um, Chanel and Dior, Dior actually, 
um, is one of the first to go into China years ago and to figure out that market. And um, watching them and how they applied themselves to that market, um, at least over the last year, has kept them afloat. Um, so those are some of the mainstays of the industry. Um, when you get into how the younger set is really starting to see fashion, um, online services are now like thread, thread is up. Um, the recycling of the fashion industry and the sustainability issues that, that, uh, that fashion has right now is that recycling is really, really key to them reworking their structure. Um, so, I, you know, things like that, that I'm looking at a macro thing and how does that affect the rest of all of our lives? Um, it's, it's all intertwined. And so I, my job is to really kind of define for what I do with companies is to say, okay, you know, we know all this, but how do you really kind of focus in on what we're trying to do in the market using a little bit of new influence to make our brand better and also um, produce product that's going to sell and be innovative at the same time. So that, that brings me indeed to a question I wanted to ask you because um, you're already going to a little bit of detail of how you would work. So what are those crucial steps in the process when, when you create this vision for a new product range, whether it's fashion or interior design? Because um, probably that's not very different because those steps have to be the same, correct, in the creative process. Yeah, and I, I, I'm pretty much a macro person. I'm a visionary. And in a lot of companies, they don't understand that because they're more to the current. And I'm looking beyond because I have to. Um, but my forte is, is taking that long-term vision and saying, okay, what am I going to do now versus the next year, the next year, and whatever. So I always have a three- to five-year plan so that I can, um, once I have that big picture, then I can back into that and say, what, what can I do to um, achieve that big picture for this company? So that's a lot of people today don't have a three to five year plan. And so I think that that's a lost art in a lot of ways. And also um, I'm able to say, okay, yeah, in 10 years, what is color going to look like? And I know through our color marketing group, um, conversations, we have those conversations all the time, even two years out versus 10 years out. And it's really stimulating. It's stimulating for me because I am a macro person. Um, and so my challenge for a lot of industries today is to make sure that their brand is current and feeding that quote, 80% of their business is their engine that keeps them afloat. And maybe 10 to 20% would be um, that kind of fashion statement beyond that, what's going to help their brand keep them better. And if you have an ideology, like my ideology, my ideology is making sure that um, I'm current and also directional in the market at the same time. And so once you make that claim in the market, then all you have to do is be ahead of yourself every year. And instead of following the competition, following you know, uh, the trend that's already out there. If you already have that kind of edge on the market, all you have to do is be ahead of yourself. So that's, that's kind of key to my work. 
So when you talk about being ahead, uh, not being too current, uh, we obviously talk about, you know, defining trends, observing what's happening in society, how are people behaving, um, how are people feeling? Where do you find these clues? Where do you find um, the clues for your trend inspiration, but then, of course, also your color inspiration? Well, the color inspiration, um, it, first of all, I look at the why behind color first. And color is, instead of writing my description, I use the color to say that. So color always comes last because I need the why behind it. I need the research behind it. Um, I generally pull it from the fashion business. Um, I also look at macro trends, uh, macro trends meaning political influences, economic, what's happening, um, accused that I don't have a clue about those industries, but I have to listen to what's going on in the current events. And then I say, okay, what is affecting us now versus what's affecting us in the future? And so when I say, for example, that green is coming back, and it, which it is, but I've been seeing green since 2015. So right now, green is just starting to be applied in the, the uh, North American market a little bit more in, in, in mass. Where I did see it in the North American market was the fashion industry first. And now it's coming into interiors. So that whole you know, five-year span, almost six-year span now of green that I've been tracking, it's not new for me, but I know it's for the market. So I have to know when that green is going to be applicable to um, say flooring or laminate or paint or, or any of those industries. Um, and I think that that's, that's how I translate that. Um, gray has been so strong for the last 10 years that every other decade it goes warm, cool and gray is a cool color. Now we're going with green, that's pushing us into a warm decade. So that means brown's coming back. So when I track the past like that, that gives me a cue as to when the usable color is going to be right for the market. Yeah, I think that's so interesting what you said is to tracking, yes, and making sure that you're watching the right markets um, and how, and then translate how those colors will be influenced to, to different markets. Right. Markets that possibly are a little bit more conventional or indeed what we would call um, delayed to the fashion industry. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the brown coming back. So the warmer period that we are entering right now, why do you think that's happening? Uh, because of the pandemic. That's when anybody comes back to home, um, you get grounded and ground, literally ground color. <laughs> um, when you dig your, your fingers into the dirt and do the gardening, like uh, there's a lot of emphasis here in the States about having quote victory gardens where after World War II, they had gardens that sustained them and they grew their own vegetables and whatever. So the trend now is to still have that victory garden in their backyard. Um, I've heard um, down the East Coast in some of the cities, some of these larger developments have just a small little patch of garden or, or land in the back of their houses and they're they're buying chickens so now there's people doing their own uh, farming and they're bringing it home and now that we can't go to restaurants they're going to be doing some culinary baking um, that's been going on for the last year 
I don't think that that's going to go away. I think that that's going to be um, here for a while. And it's redefining our, our lifestyles as to centered around the home and the family. And when you do that, you've got to have livable color. You can't have just a you know restaurant. You can go and you can have a splash of bright colors with gray and whatever. And that's great for the time being. But when you come home, you want to relax. You want to be able to have it usable. And it's a little bit longer term um, with the color that you live with, especially in structural color, where you have it on the floor, you have it on the walls, and you can't change as easy as easily. Um, where you do change it is on your accessories, like pillows and um, furniture systems and that kind of thing. That's where you can have a little bit new color coming in in the home. So all said and done, it's really more we're on this warmer color at home, comfortable, at ease, um, and it becomes universal because we're all experiencing the same thing. I think that's a beautiful example of how something that's happening currently that is having such a strong influence on how we are all um, feeling and how that translates directly in our needs and how those needs are changing and then indeed in color. I think that's uh, a beautiful example because I think that is what trend forecasting is about. In the end, it is observing everything around you and being able to translate that. Um, I think indeed for the, the home trends, I think this is interesting because, uh, and I know you've been obviously with Benjamin Moore and you're probably still much in, plugged into this industry is that the do it yourself out here in Europe, they have been booming. So many people are redecorating their homes because they're staying so much more time in their homes and they're repainting their walls. And it's, I think it's a beautiful movement. Um, I do think also it brings out a little bit of, of creativity in ourselves, uh, but also indeed, just like you said, that inspiration and feeling that daily at home comfortable. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I agree with that because color is, it. You don't have to write about color. You just know, um, in my days at Benjamin Moore, I realized how emotional um, color was or and is. And basically, if a consumer loved that color, they remembered the, the color name and they were proud to show it off to whoever came to visit at their home. And so with that color, if that color was related to the company, like Benjamin Moore, then that was brand building. That's something that a lot of companies don't recognize, mm -hmm. the power of how color can brand build. And um, that was an aha moment for me when I was, you know, even though I was in color and design all these years, just knowing how a consumer or a designer related to the product that I was designing or um, promoting gave me clues as to, you know, in my forecasting, I'd have to put more of the emotion behind it. When you talk to the consumer, the designer says, I love what you're doing. They're already sold on, on your brand. Give me the information to make me look good. And then of, of course the installer or the contractor says, I don't really, I mean, I care about this, but I really want your best sellers. So it's in how you talk to each one of your customers and the consumer says, I don't have a clue, just tell me what I need and, and coordinate it for me. Then, then you know how to approach them with each, with the same thing. You're marketing color, it's the same thing, but how do you market it to all these different um, 
viewpoints of your end consumer and and end users. Yeah, so because, yeah, color okay. is trend, but color is also personal. How do you see those two related? Because um, that's a little bit what you just said. You know, uh, there's people that maybe don't like a certain color or they're not comfortable with certain colors, especially in your homes. You know, you do need to choose a color that's making you feel good and not necessarily needs to be a trend color. How do you work with those two elements? Um, between the trends and the usability of them? Yeah, the personal uh, psychology effect on a person in color. Um, I think it's how you can say, if it's brown, we talk about the brown story. Everybody can relate to that. But if you bring in an accent color like a lime green, the first green that you see, see in spring, um, a lot of people are saying, I can't use that all over my space, but I can probably use it in an accent color. So they're, com they're comfortable with it. And they're also comfortable because it's green. They see it every spring when it comes out. So subliminally, they it's familiar to them, even though it's a bright, bold color. Um, I've also said to, to designers, I challenge you to take that bright green and put it with any color in the spectrum and it becomes a neutral. And when you think about that, when you look at the cues from nature and you look outside, it's not hard to, to see how the paintbrush out there is just so colorful, especially in the fall. And then in the spring, all the colors that are um, accents against this backdrop of green and brown. So that's another cue that you could take. And when, you, when everybody's exposed to that, then it's not hard to talk to them about it. It's only hard to talk to them when it's shock treatment, like a neon or um, a bold color that they don't know how to use. And then it's not as organic, it's more synthetic looking. Um, and synthetic meaning a little cooler and uh, organic meaning warmer. So we always have that jargon in the, the color industry, as you know, um, about warm and cool and how that affects people and how it affects color. It is interesting, indeed, the warmer and the cooler. And also, um, I had talked about this in my uh, my first episode, indeed, that people sometimes are a little bit afraid to use color, um, yeah. especially when it comes about brighter colors. But if you look, indeed, just like you just said, nature has all colors. Um, yet when uh, we have to bring them into our homes, um, we get a little bit anxious about that. Um, but it's beautiful how you explained it by just using smaller accessories and then adapting that color, you can still make a beautiful new inspirational home without doing the big splashes of color that tends to, you know, scare people a little bit. Yeah. And we've, we've also found out that um, if you wanted to change a room in your house, the first one that you're willing, the first room you're willing to do an experimentation with is the bathroom because only you see that. And so if you don't like it, you can change it. But that's why powder rooms are probably a little bolder and you can make a fashion statement out of it within your house so that at least, you know, people don't spend a lot of time in there. So they're able to go in and be impactful and say, well, oh, this is kind of a cool spot. I like that color. And you won't see it on the rest of the house, but at least it's there. You've tested it. And then when you're comfortable with that, then it gets translated throughout the house. Um, That's a great takeaway. I'm going to try that this weekend and then I'll, I'll let you know what color I picked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> is there a project that you're currently working on or a next color project that you're um, super passionate about and maybe you want to share that with our audience? Um, I'm doing consulting now and it's always great to have someone who really gets it, you know, and you have a, um, a wavelength in which you work with them. And it's just so easy to be able to say, okay, um, you know, like minds are, are understanding each other about color. So I'm working on a couple projects now that they totally get it. And um, so I'm on the independent phase. That's, that's what I really love doing. Um, and I think that the main thing for me is above and beyond all of the design and the color direction if you're really, really good listener and listening with your eyes and your ears, I don't think it's hard at all to realize how all this comes together. Um, and I think that the challenge in today's society, no matter where you go, is that people don't listen and people aren't hearing. And I think that the awareness factor is what color and design is all about. Because color and design are, uh, is just a translator of what's happening out in front of you. And if you can see the cues behind all of the, the color and design, you can say, why was that there? And it's the why behind that fascinates me. And I'm always challenged to, and I always like the challenge of, of creating something that I don't, I don't know the first thing about, but the color and design is my language in which I speak. So um, I think that translating that and knowing how that works and being able to communicate that with the people who just told me what their needs were and are, um, then I think that that's, that's my life's work. That's the passion that I, I get. I see translating, but I have to be really aware of, of what's around my surroundings in order to do that. Yeah. And I think, um, especially for today, you know, being aware of what's happening around you and this. Uh, busy society. Um, and I thought also it was interesting what you said. It was the, the listening um, mm -hmm. and the observing, uh, which uh, which obviously hence the podcast because people have to, to really listen to, to grasp the information, of course. But that's a very interesting advice. What other advice would you give to young design professionals today when they're entering this world of, of color and also forecasting? Uh, that's a good question. I think knowing my track record over the years is that I just had to put my dues in. And I have a lot of people coming up and saying, how do you get your job? And I said, well, you need 30 years of experience really <laughs> to do that. Um, but I think it's more about ride the wave and be patient and connect and get find mentors that can help you along the way. That's really what it's all about. And I'm in a mentoring phase now of wanting to give back. Um, I always have been, but it's more acute now um, as I um, go into these years. And it's, it's wonderful to see the passion um, kept alive in the younger people that are really, you, you can tell if it's in their blood or not, or if they just have a passion for wanting to know about it and wanting to experience it. And so I do a lot of shadowing um, at trade shows when they do happen and they will happen in the future. I'm positive about that. That's hope. Um, yep. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah. And, um, I just, I, it's just a passion for me and I want to be able to pass that on. 
I think it's beautiful indeed, uh, the whole mentorship, because I think mentorship is something that is is crucial. Um, I, for once in my, my career, I would not have entered the world of color had it not been for mm-hmm. a very important mentor in, in, my, uh, in my previous company. Um, I have a great mentor in my current company. Um, I have great mentors at Color Marketing Group and dear friends. Yeah. I, I do think that is very key nowadays because we all tend to get a little bit lost. Um, so this for you is something that what you call, um, you know, your a new mission for you. This is something that you feel very, um, very deeply about the mentorship. Because I know that with Color Marketing Group, you are now uh, entering yeah. um, the mentorship as well. Um, could you explain a little bit about how the process for, for CMG is about now for mentorship for people that are listening and maybe want to join? Well, actually, uh, we're in the baby stages of doing that. So I don't have anything that, you know, right now concrete to, to share. But I think that it's more about the connections um, and the wealth of, uh, wealth of, I guess, design industries and also all varied design industries and also um, experiences that people have such gifts to give each other and it's a support group and when um, they can't find support anyplace else or um, they're looking to see internationally how each culture um, translates and how they work and how they they think and I think it's more about the thinking than anything else and there might be some takeaways that um, joining a group like CMG, and I've been a member since the early 90s, so that dates me, but um, I, it's the only group I will join um, that I feel that is always evolving and changing. And the people that join are varied ages, varied backgrounds, um, cultural backgrounds. I mean, it's just, it's really a great group to be a part of because of that. So I feel that the mentoring thing is something that allows anybody to be able to connect in a way that they need and, and have to be fed um, information and a direction in their lives. I think that is uh, key. You know, sharing is, is knowledge. And in the end, without that, we, we are nowhere. And I think right. the Color Marketing Group and that has been the perfect organization indeed um, for networking and indeed sharing all that, that beautiful knowledge so we've come a little bit to the end of this uh, this episode. Is there anything you really wanted to to share still with uh, with the audience? Oh, I think I'd share a thank you with you for, for allowing us to chat a little bit about our our backgrounds. Um, I think your your interview um, skills and just your knowledge of what you've done in your your life is just amazing, and I'm um, glad to be a part of that and to be um, a friend of yours, to be able to do that too, as well. So thank you. I appreciate that, Judith. Thank you, Dodie, for your kind words and, and your continuous support. Um, I love this conversation, and I'm sure we're going to have many more conversations in, in our near future. I want to thank you for all the knowledge that you've shared, and I'm sure that the audience uh, will love our episode Um, So thank you again, uh, Dodi, and thank you for all the listeners to The Color Authority. Stay tuned for my very next episode with Rana Kadra from Yotun Paints, uh, who will do a chat with me very soon out of Dubai. Thank you all. (laughs) 